Okay. Hey, I want to hear real quick uh, about a musical experience or two that someone in this room has had. And of course, you can throw it on Facebook Live, but I won't see that. Anyone, did, some, did anything come to mind? Okay, okay, yeah, go ahead in the back. Awesome. So connecting with a friend and seeing her accomplish something, and that was really cool. You, Karen, did you have one? Okay, so you, you were in the choir, and then the choir director said, I'm sorry, we've made a terrible mistake by having you in the choir. So that is a negative experience with music. Okay. And um, a little bit later, we'll hear from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the uh, German pastor and theologian of World War II, and he speaks to those who struggle to sing, which are fewer than us than you might think, but... Thank you so much for your courageousness to share that with us. A couple of my uh, meaningful experiences with music, um, I, I was music ed major uh, 99 to 04, so that dates me. And I had seen this movie called Shine that featured the Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto. It's like a premier piano piece. It's amazing. And uh, an orchestra came to McCain and played that. And I'll never forget sitting up in the balcony and watching that pianist play Rock 3 to a full orchestra. Amazing. Moving. A um, couple of my amazing experiences with music are, are shared experiences with my wife. We were married in 05. In 2007, we went to the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, and it was amazing. You know, two or three days of music, Camping, I will never forget that experience with music. Fast forward a couple years, we saw, and if some of this may connect with some of you, some of it may connect with none of you, that's okay. Bonnie Vare at the Uptown Theater in Kansas City. Who was there? Yes. My first experience is running into to Edward. I think you had dreads at the time. Um, we'll never forget that moment. Driving my daughter, Kate, to EMS, Eisenhower Middle School, three years of that, the time flew by, and the last week, uh, it was the last week that I would ever probably drive her to school, because she would be in high school, which is in walking distance, and she'll have her learner's permit, and she would always introduce new music to me, and so there was this churn off of Manhattan, Amble, or Mon Manhattan Avenue onto Kimball to turn right, and if you're at the right time, the sunrise, the clouds, and you can ask Kate about the Spotify playlist. We actually created a playlist. I think we call it Kate's Ride to School. Amazing experiences can be had with music. The last one I'll share is actually involves you all, and maybe not all of you, but involves our church. The first time we introduced the doxology a cappella in this room, and immediately everyone just sang. It, it was awesome. It was like people that had grown up in church but maybe been away for a long, long time, those neurological pathways were right there. We were ready to go. And it was, it was so good at that time that we've continued to sing it every time when we've ended our gathering together. We'll see how long we continue that. 
So music is powerful. I mean, it, it pervades all cultures, all peoples throughout all time. Music is just a part of what it is to be human. Um, I, I want to test you all to see if you can guess the song if I just play a couple notes, two or three notes, okay? September, are we live here? Okay, this one might be hard. You got it. Awesome. Good. How about this one? You got it. Yep. Just a couple notes, right? Here's the last one for you. You know it. We have to finish it. Yeah, music connects. Music connects with us if we will allow it. So I want to talk today about, wrap up our series on State of the Church. As I said earlier, we, we could cover so many different topics, but I want to talk specifically about music in the church. Is it entertainment or is it for connection. So a key passage uh, that we find in the New Testament, now there's not a lot of passages in the New Testament specifically about music. Um, There's some about the early church singing, but not too much that's instructive to us. But we do have in Paul's writings in, in, in Ephesians 5 and also in Colossians 3, where he gives specific instruction related to music in the life of the church. And here's what he says, in Colossians 3:16 Let the message of Christ so the good news of Christ that's what the whole early church gathers around that's what animates the life of the church is the good news that Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself on the cross and in the resurrection Let the message of Christ dwell among you and every time we read you in the New Testament it's all y'all let the message of Christ dwell among all y'all richly. And here's how we can do that. As you teach, as you admonish one another with all wisdom through a variety of musical genre, through psalms, through hymns, and songs from the Spirit. ESV, uh, that translation says, through spiritual songs. So songs that help us dwell on the message of Christ singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Uh, In the Ephesians, um, in in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Now, music is intended to connect with all of us, Uh, connects with us mind, heart, soul. It's a corporate experience. It can be individual. It's such a powerful tool in the life of, of the church. So a couple notes on this passage. Um, there's, a, there's a diversity of genre, right? So in, in, the, in the church, a lot of people have their preferences. I like songs that are like this, you know. I like songs that are like this. I like gospel. I like this. I like that. I, like, I prefer hymns. We can set aside preferences and embrace all of the above to enrich the life of the body. And if everything that you uh, if, if your whole approach to music in the church is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit this one out till I find that one that I love, that's just operating within your own comfort, right? 
these songs are meant to instruct us, to admonish us even, to teach us, to stretch our capacity, our bandwidth. Um, I'm not even going to talk much about dance, but I think some of you all know that you want to fill the space a little bit more. Maybe you want to raise your hands. You don't have to. There's nothing prescribed here, but it's an invitation to connect full body experience with God, with one another, with yourself. So music is meant to move us. Uh, I had a recent experience at the gym. Can't always talk about the gym, but this is completely unrelated to gym activities. I was working out in an early morning class, and I kept hearing this guy just humming. Every time I ran by him, he's humming something, he was singing something, and I just couldn't help but tell him, hey, man, I just hear you humming all the time. Keep that up. And he looked at me, it was kind of, he was a gym bro for sure. He's like, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I said, I know you didn't, but it was moving, right? I, I connected with him. Something was within him that led him to let joy out of his heart. It's kind of like my son Maddox. Talk about my kids a lot. This kid can whistle. Even this morning, the worship team was up here. I can't even whistle like him. What, what was he whistling? So you'll have to ask him to do that. Just, just the, the songs coming out of him. I remember uh, one time at Walmart, um, a, an older lady found me back by the egg section. You know that section, right? She said, excuse me, were you the young man who was humming, I'll fly away? And I said, well, you know what? Now that I think about it, I was. I think she had found me over, like I was over in the linen section or something, humming, and it just delighted her. We connected over music. Music is meant to help us connect. Not just connect with God, with one another within the body, with ourselves, but also with the listening and watching world. Check out this passage in Acts 16, verse 25. So Paul and Silas, they're thrown in prison. So they are in prison. And it's probably a worse situation being thrown into our own prisons here. It's, it's pretty rough. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. What kind of testimony or declaration of the goodness of God must that have been? Paul and Silas, I'm not sure. They said, okay, let's make sure we switch. At midnight, we're going to start singing because they're going to watch. No, this was just coming out of their heart and the other prisoners just happened to be listening and watching. I think that's also occurring in the church. They're declaring God's goodness to a watching and listening world. You can read the rest of that story. Uh, miraculous escape from prison. A bunch of people come to faith. There's, there's great joy about households coming to faith in Christ, being delivered from slavery or from bondage into freedom. So in the church, we often call church music. What, what do we call it? Worship, right? So we, we literally call our gathering together a worship gathering. We often, we call it the worship team. We say, hey, that was great worship. What we, what we think people mean is music. That was great music. But biblically speaking, worship itself is much, much broader than just the songs we sing. And I think we know this but yet our language continues to reinforce a more narrow view of worship. So let's think briefly just about what 
worship is in the life of the church, and then we'll dive back into music in the life of the church. So first reference to the word worship that we have in the scriptures in Genesis 22, verse 5. This is where Abraham is told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. And when Abraham says to his servants, he says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So he was not carrying his guitar to go have a campfire to sing to Jesus or to sing to God, right? He was going to offer the most important thing to him in his life, his son, to God. He was carrying wood and a knife and would have a fire to sacrifice his son. It's an intense story, brings up lots of questions, as it should, but a couple things are clear in this story. Worship is about giving our whole life to God, our whole response to God. Revelation plus our response, our right response, equals worship. And, so that is true of this this story, as intense and, and confusing as it is, And it also is a story that foreshadows when God himself would sacrifice that which was dearest to him, his son, so that we could be in right relationship with him. So worship is much bigger than music. Paul talks about this in Romans 12. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So when when Paul says, therefore, you got to ask, always ask, what is the therefore, therefore? And he's referring to all of Romans 1 through 11, which is this beautiful writing about the goodness of God, the gospel, how all have fallen short of the glory of God, but God has made a way where there was no way in Christ. So in light of God's initiating love, his initiating kindness, his mercy, we are called then to offer our bodies not just individually, but corporately as a church, our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, our true and proper worship. So worship, revelation plus response equals worship, our whole life for God, not just the songs we sing. However, the songs we sing can be powerful tools to help us engage with this message. So let's talk a little bit about the state of the church related to music. So there have always been culture wars within the church and the world related to music, okay? So um, there were times when there were arguments, like we're going to sing just a cappella, no instruments. There was a time when an organ was very controversial in the church. In fact, there were some uh, Christian leaders who threw out all the organs because we can't have that in here, right? So that doesn't make sense to us because we think of the organ as like, that is church music, right? But the, the battle, the culture wars of church within the, or music within the church goes way, way back. So let's just come kind of to our generation for some of us in the room. Uh, there was this, this song called... Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music by Larry Norman. He is known as the father of Christian rock. I got to know, anyone in here listen to Larry Norman in his prime? We got Ron Goodman back. Oh, (laughs) Suzanne slowly raising her hand. And uh, 
so yeah, so if you watch the movie Jesus Revolution, which is really, really well done, I watched it this last week. The band featured in there is Love Song. I think Larry Norman slightly after Love Song. And so this is at a time when people are talking about rock and roll as devil music, right? And it's just, it, was, it was hot within the church, these culture wars. Why should the devil have all the good music? Jesus is a rock and he rolls my blues away. Something like that, right? I mean, I, I remember even when my parents would not allow me to get Christian rock music when I was young. And I'm not that old, right? So, and to them, it was Michael W. Smith. Anyone listen to that? And I don't know if my mom still listened to my sermons or not, but yeah, so I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get a hold of that Christian rock music. And it's like, friends are friends forever. <laughs> and actually, prepping these sermons has given me a lot of fodder for therapy and to think back on my <laughs> faith background. I remember the Christian uh, bookstore in the town I grew up in, Shadron, Nebraska, that had this album. I remember exactly where it was. Stripe. <laughs> to hell with the devil. Now, yeah, some of y'all are going to go Google search this stuff. Please share it. It's awesome. Look at that band. So they are, but their desire is to connect with people, to take the message to the people. And that's, that's been consistent throughout the life of the church. How do we get the message to the people? And there's always been resistance from within the religious establishment when we try new things. So, yeah, this is worth a Google search, by the way. It's really good. A little more recent, um, remember this? Did anyone have the rap on the tip of their tongue? So it's kind of like when Nirvana was out with their, their little drum rift that we all know and love. Some of, some of the people in our church wear Nirvana t-shirts but don't really know who Nirvana are. They're, they're teenagers. <laughs> It's a whole thing. But yeah, I remember when I, at the Christian music uh, store, put on the headphones when they had the, the CD display. So I am speaking to church background people right now. If none of this resonates with you, that is completely okay. You are welcome here. But I saw Carrie nodding. Yes, where you, there's Jesus Freak. It's finally out. I'm going to put on the headphones. There it is. This is amazing. But every step of the way, there's, there's resistance to these things within the church, right? Those are just Jesus freaks. It's kind of what the the hippies and the Jesus revolution were called, and they embraced that as a moniker or a term of endearment. So the culture wars, but also just the worship wars, more specifically about the, the battle between theological correctness and rightness versus connecting with the emotional experience of a human being, right? The Psalms themselves have statements in them from King David that are not theologically tight, but that give us freedom to experience doubt, concern, express our frustration with God. Um, There's this this memory I have. So I, I used to lead worship for the Navigators Collegiate Ministry years ago. And at the time, I was pretty uptight. I was one of those sort of like, theological Nazis, if you will, trying to make sure everything's correct before we sing it. And I remember the controversy at the time and it was, was this song. And if you know it, we can get a little keys here. Sing it with me. Crucified. You know this one? 
laid behind a stone. Here's the, here's the words. You know this one? You live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me above all. Does that sound okay? Is that okay? Not according to John Piper. This is not okay. Of this song, he says, here's another popular lyric that we sang recently. I wish they weren't singing. It's very popular. Like a rose trampled on the ground, yada, yada, yada. And thought of me above all? That's not true. It's not helpful. I'm not frankly even sure what it means. Above all what? Above all other people whom he saved? No, it can't be about that. Above all his own glory. No, not his own glory, but above all what? It was a beautiful song till it got to that point. He saved us precisely so that we could see and savor his glory as the supreme treasure of the universe above all. I'm not sure what the lyrics are trying to communicate, but it doesn't communicate that to most people. That's John Piper ripping this song because it said he thought of me above all. I'm pretty sure that Jesus, when he stretched out and he breathed his last, he was thinking about me. He was thinking about you. He laid his life down for the sheep. In fact, when the one went astray, he left the 99 to find the one, right? Now, I don't think I'm going to get any calls from John Piper on this. Uh, I know that he's going to listen. But do you see what I'm saying? There's, there's been a battle like that statement that he thought of me above all is not theologically correct enough for John Piper. The battles within the church around music around worship music, it's intense. Not to mention this question that we're wrestling with. Is music about entertainment or about connection? So in an effort to help create a safe space for us to grow together as singers, I want to quote Bonhoeffer, I mentioned this, um, who's someone who has strong preferences about worship music. I think I jumped ahead. Okay. So think about your own preferences on worship music. Like, man, I wish, wish the drums were quieter. I wish they were louder. I wish we sang more hymns. I wish we did this. I wish we did that. And in our culture, we have so many churches. Sometimes pe people visit our church. They love everything except the music, and they go elsewhere, and that is okay. I'm No shame here. But I want us to engage with the tension around how we think about music. This is what Bonhoeffer says. He says, There are some destroyers of unison singing in the fellowship that must be rigorously eliminated. So he wants unison. And if you don't sing unison, get him out of here, right? There's no place in the service of worship where vanity and bad taste can so intrude as in the singing he says, there is first the improvised second part, which one hears almost everywhere. That's verse 2 when Emma comes in with the harmony. It attempts to give the necessary background, the missing fullness to the soaring unison tone, and thus kills the words in the tone. Then there's the bass or the alto who must call everybody's attention to his astonishing range and therefore sings every hymn an octave lower. That's the third time through bridge, Taylor, on the low octave. 
There's the solo voice that goes swaggering, swelling, blaring, tremulant from a full chest and drowns out everything else to the glory of its own fine organ. I don't know, Drew sounded pretty beautiful this morning, right? So then there are the less dangerous foes of congregational singing, the so-called unmusical who cannot sing, of whom there are far fewer than we are led to believe. So if, I, if you tell me you can't sing, I'm going to challenge you on that. And we can have a little lesson because most of us can. Finally, there are often those also who, because of some mood, will not join in the singing and thus disturb the fellowship. Now, that one I resonate with. Some people just don't like this song. Sit back here and look with disdain. Because it's all about preference, right? The worship wars in the church. This is one area where Bonhoeffer, I think, is wrong. Hey, we can sing. All the things can be embraced. Musical things. Okay, now the question. Entertainment or connection? There's, a, there's an article in Christianity Today called Our Worship is Turning Praise into Secular Profit by a guy named uh, Kelsey Kramer McGinnis. Just a couple quotes from this to talk about how big business church music is today. Leading us to, cons- to, to think culturally that this is an entertainment industry. So Christian music has turned a profit for American investors for centuries, ever since bookseller Hezekiah Usher distributed the Bay Psalm book in 1640 is when the, the uh, American Christian music industry really started. The first book printed in the colonies. What's new is the complicated web of demand, creation, and money-making in today's version of the industry. Think about this, and, and I, so I don't want to ruin anything for us. I want us to be able to engage with nuance on complex topics within the church. Think about the number of church services that are streamed. If Good Good Father is sung in thousands of churches, many of which are live streamed, the revenue of that copyright is huge. That's why Chris Tomlin loves Father's Day. It's big bucks for him. Big bucks. Now, we're probably going to keep singing the song, right? There's, there's, there's tension here. The line between entertainment and worship in these contexts has grown blurrier. Even as touring artists explicitly frame performances that you pay a lot of money for as worship services or experiences. Chris Tomlin, which we sang Sovereign, that's one of his songs, toured in 2022 with Hillsong United. He got in with one of the big four, actually, of Christian um, Uh, bands that are dominating the songs we sing, telling the Gospel Music Association, I always say there's nothing like the sound of the people of God singing the praises of God in the presence of God, and to be able to experience that night after night is truly a gift and worth a lot of money. (laughs) Now, if I was Chris Tomlin, I'd probably be up there singing, right? So love his music, love him, but this is complex. These are hard questions. Actually, last year, this article says Elevation Worship had to clarify that a $1,000 plus front row ticket listed for their show was not the sticker price, but was the inflated resale value. Now, is this just entertainment or is this connection? Well, I, I think it's both. I think it is, it's these songs that are being produced that we consume and sing, they're, they're good. They do help us lead to Christ. But we need to think about them critically and and think about what we're doing, how we're investing our money, our time. Um, I think even at these shows, I mean, even Taylor Swift's uh, concerts, like there's connections she makes with thousands of people. 
I don't know if you saw that scene where she'll pull her earpiece out just to hear people singing like she steps away from the mic. That's connection. There is connection happening even in the midst of entertainment. But there's more to be had with our experience and our engagement with music in the church. Last quote from this article. How many songs of lament appear on the CCLI? the Christian Copyright Licensing International Top 100. Powers said, remarking, it's easy to find songs of adoration or joy, but much more difficult to find songs that reflect true lament and sorrow. Song Select Service can sort selections by theme. We use Song Select um, with 8,658 songs assigned to adoration, another 19,000 plus to praise. However, there aren't categories for lament or mourning. There is sorrow, so it's 300 some, or weeping, 35. Whereas if you read the Psalms, the Psalms in the middle of your Bible, your hard copy Bible, 65 of those, around 65 of the 150 are laments. We need to do a better job as a church learning, yes, to rejoice, entering the courts with gladness, celebrating, but also lamenting together, personally, but also corporately. So yes, entertainment, it's big business. That's complex, that's hard to deal with. What do, what do we do with this? What does Mosaic do with this? Where do we go from here? So I, I tend to be a cynical guy. If you know me very well, you, you maybe have learned that. But one of the, the things I was challenged on recently is that I need to be cynical about my cynicism. And there's a great quote by John Ortberg that I think is good for our church in particular because we, you know, we're trying to reach those of us with church hurt baggage, those of us who are skeptics, who are cynics. So here's what Ortberg says in No Doubt. It's, it's a book called No Doubt, Embracing Uncertainty in Your Faith. Scratch the surface of any cynic and you'll find a wounded idealist underneath. We see so much more than that what could be than what is. Because of previous pain or disappointment, cynics make their conclusions about life before the questions have been asked. This means that beyond just seeing what is wrong with the world, cynics lack the courage to do something about it. The dynamic beneath cynicism is a fear of accepting responsibility. So if I just sit back and cynically say, wow, there's four... uh, it's Elevation, Hillsong, Bethel. What's the fourth one? Josh probably knows. Not Maverick City. Oh, Passion. Those four bands dominate the songs we sing across the country. That makes me cynical. Where's the creativity? Where's the little guy? Where's the other music? But if I just sit back and critique, critique, be cynical, what am I doing? What am I building? How am I leading? How are we engaging? Where is our place to take responsibility. So briefly, how do we at Mosaic Church and individually unite people in the way of Jesus through music? Just a few quick thoughts, all related to connection. Connect with God, connect with one another, connect with our community, the watching world, and connect with yourself. And if you're looking for a way to memorize that, gooey. <laughs> I did not plan that. 
So connect with God. I, I invite you to engage with the music that we're doing on Sunday mornings. Consider this, this even practice for your own private connection. If you're afraid to dance here, raise your hands, really belt it out because someone might hear you, practice here and then take it home, you know? I know that our vocal range that you all have is much greater than you think it is here because you can sing to the songs in the radio and those are all, those are pretty high. You can sing in the shower, right? I hope. That's a great place to sing. Oh, that's where I do my reflecting. Um, didn't you talk about the shower last week, Justin? <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> so connect with God. This, right, this is an opportunity where we're, we're, we're putting some energy, some investment, some practice to create a space to help you connect with God through music, introduce you to good songs. And then from here, you can connect with God on your own. Focus on your breathing. Take in a breath so that you can sing the phrase, so that you can hold it, so you can declare his praises uh, to him, to one another, to a watching world. Then connect with one another through music. You know, our, our worship team has space. We, we want to have jam sessions. We want to invite people on to this team. This, it's about community, not just about doing this for you all. Um, be encouraged when you look around and you see others connecting with God. That can be an encouragement to you. That's part of music, helping us connect with one another. Fill your home with music. Share songs with one another. Spotify, YouTube, they, those are tools that we can use to encourage one another. I guarantee if you send me a text with a song and say, I thought you might like this song, I'm gonna listen to it. We're gonna connect and encourage one another in some way. And connect with our community. We have opportunity as a church to connect with the watching and listening world through music. Um, there's some ideas that we have for our space that hopefully we can share in the future. Um, we've used this space to host other bands for Third Thursday Midfest and getting people in here and people are like, I didn't know this was a church. This is great, you know. So they're, they're, this one's going to take some collaboration, some coordination. And then finally, connect with yourself, your own heart and mind. Maybe a takeaway is just as simple as incorporating a little more music into your life with the question of how can I connect with God and myself? It doesn't even necessarily have to be per se, Christian music. If you want a place to start to just slow down, meditate, just look for Garth Stevenson, The Southern Sea. Nine minutes of meditation right there. The Southern Sea, Garth Stevenson. What a beautiful tool music is to help us connect. So question for you, and I'll invite the worship team to come up. How will you connect with God and others through music. Maybe your action step is just as simple as, man, this song came to mind for this friend. I'm going to send it to them and connect with them. Or maybe it's something else. So as we wrap up, I want to share this verse from Zephaniah 3.17, the second half of the verse. And this is a mashup between the NIV and the ESV translation where we learn that God himself is singing over us. 
So think about this. He says, he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you by his love. He will rejoice over you with loud singing. I actually like how the King James Version puts this. This is probably the first time we've quoted from the KJV. It says, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rejoice with joy over you. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Do you believe that God himself is singing over you? Can you feel his love? Can you feel his joy? Just as, as someone might sing to their, their spouse or their their fiance, or the, the, the joy that there is to sing over that person. Can you hear the song, God is singing over you? Now, we're going to sing about the love of God here shortly, um, but I invite you to stand. We've, we've taken the Lord's Supper um, every, every Sunday of this sermon series. And this is yet another way, another tool to connect with the message of Christ. So we have music, we have the, the, the bread that is broken on your behalf, just like the body of Christ broken on your behalf, and the cup, the blood shed on your behalf, as Christ poured out his blood on the cross. So we have an open uh, communion, Lord's Supper here, so if if you're there and you've put your faith in Christ, you've trusted him with your life, you are welcome to come. If that's not where you're at this morning, take this time to reflect, to sing, to engage. So we've, we've uh, read the Lord's Prayer together or prayed the Lord's Prayer together. So I invite you to do that together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. I invite you to come up as you're led.